Welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast, a show brought to you by PureFlix.com. PureFlix.com, the faith, family, and fun video streaming service. Get ready for uplifting news, scripture, movie reviews, and interviews with some of your favorite actors, authors, and pastors. Let's get started. Hey, what's going on? It's Billy Hollowell. Welcome to the Pure Flix podcast. Today, we've got a really fascinating topic, the Bible. Can we trust it? The Bible, is it true? Is this book what it claims to be? We've got two guests on, Michael and Lauren McAfee. They're a married couple. Uh, Lauren's family, uh, the Green family, they actually founded the Museum of the Bible. So she has been in this world for a long time. They're both millennials. And I got to tell you, their book, is fascinating. What this book does is it deals with those who might be skeptical, who might not be sure about what they believe when it comes to the Bible. And I want to just read this quote from the back of the book jacket. I think this is an important quote, and it just gives a little tease for what they write in this book. It says, the Bible is the most contested, most controversial book in history for good reason. But what might we discover if we encountered it with fresh eyes and an open mind? And so what they do in this book is they bring us to a place where we can understand what the Bible really is, where we can confront some of that doubt that maybe we have or others in our lives have. And so this is a powerful book, and I want to welcome Lauren and Michael to the show right now to talk with us about it. Hey, Michael and Lauren, how you doing? Great, how are you? I am doing well. So first of all, congratulations to you guys on your new book, Not What You Think. Um, I love the title. I love what you guys are dealing with in this book, which is the Bible, uh, one of my favorite topics. Um, But I guess let's just start, and and I'll start with you, Michael. Why did you guys choose to dive into this project? So Lauren and I, from, from 2013 to 2017, spoke to audiences all over the country, and we kept sharing our love and our passion for God's Word as we were working at Museum of the Bible and getting people excited about the museum and about the Bible in general. And as we did, we found that there were both pastors and parents of millennials that wish that their millennial child or congregant would have a passion for the Bible like we did, and they didn't know how to talk to them about it. And we also found that we had peers that loved the Bible that, like us, felt misunderstood in their love for the Bible. And so we wanted to write a Bible, write a book about the Bible to our peers um, to help show why we find that the Bible is worth engaging with, despite some of the cultural perception obstacles and the personal experience challenges that come with engaging with a book as controversial as the Bible. Yeah, and it seems like, obviously, culture is moving at this rapid pace. Things are changing, and so a lot of that is sort of colliding with some of the other issues that seem to be impacting millennials and their engagement you know, with the Bible. Um, and so I guess with that, uh, Lauren, why would you—and this is—I guess it's a loaded question, but I'll, I'll throw it to you. Why, why, in your view, is the Bible so controversial? Um, thanks for giving me the loaded question. <laughs> um, no, that's great. Yeah, so I think that the Bible is controversial in some part because it is a, a strong message. Um, when you look at the truth of Scripture and its claims, it is a powerful message. And so that's bound to be controversial in some ways. But I actually think that most people think the Bible is controversial because they have some lack of understanding about the message when it comes to millennials. So in looking at millennials and the research that's out showing Bible engagement, 
many millennials are disengaged from the Bible. So you have a whole generation who widely, um, for the most part, this is obviously there are some exceptions, have not engaged with the Bible and don't know the, the message about what the, the Bible is teaching. So they're getting their concept of what the Bible is about based on kind of pop culture or references within Hollywood or media. And there are a lot of negative portrayals about what the Bible is. That no, Lauren, that's, that's not <laughs> true. Come on. You're, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so there's just a lot of misperception. And so we, we try to invite millennials to set aside those preconceived ideas about what the Bible is about and invite them to open-mindedly engage in the Bible themselves to then understand the, the real message about what this book, the Bible, is about. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting when I was working on my book Fault Line, I was focusing a lot on statistics and data and what Americans believe about morals and values and just relativism and all these really interesting you know, questions that you'd ask, like, oh, you know, is what's right for a culture in that culture always okay? You know, and and the the thing that I noticed the most was that obviously culture was moving towards a place where we were saying, you know, when we were asked, oh, yeah, anything's okay. Whatever you want to do, it's okay. And the Bible sort of calls us to, you know, God's standard, and it calls us to a specific standard. And there may be times we have to die to ourselves and not do the things we want to do. There may be things we have to change within ourselves. And so I think, you know, that sort of paints a picture, and then when you mix that with pop culture sort of portraying or misportraying the Bible in different ways, you see how a lot of young people walk away very confused about what's actually in the Scriptures, what the Bible is actually calling us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Michael, what would you yeah. say, like, in your mind, a success for you on this book, after somebody is done reading it, what are you hoping they're thinking and feeling and experiencing? Yeah, it's a great question because that's ultimately what we want to do in a sense is rebrand the Bible. It's a perfect product. We're not trying to change the Bible at all, but because of those misperceptions, I the hope for this book is that others would be inspired and equipped to read the book, the Bible. So not what you think is only in, useful in so much as it helps to uh, stir interest in the scriptures. And so uh, for us, we found through through looking at the research from Barna and Pew and others, that people that were engaging with the Bible uh, did so vast majority, over two-thirds, because they want to grow closer to God, number one reason. And that makes sense. That's why we love the Bible, is it helps us to grow closer in our relationship with God. It's central to our spirituality. And so we wanted to challenge the Bible disengaged. We looked at what is the perception of the Bible by people who aren't actively reading it, and it was that it was this book of morals, that it's going to make me feel bad about myself or someone else that I love who wants to read an ethics textbook, right? Um, there just isn't <laughs> isn't a lot of glory and thrill to something like that. Um, and so, and that's coming from a couple of students that are PhD students in ethics, right? That we understand <laughs> how boring that can be. And so, but when you understand the Bible, not primarily as a book that's instructing us on what to do, although it has something to say about it, but primarily it's a book about what Christ has done for us and how he fulfilled the righteousness we couldn't fulfill on our own. Well, then the story begins to come alive and it begins to make sense of our story as we begin to put ourselves in the place of the people in the Bible, recognizing we can never live a life that's perfect, but that is ultimately pointing us to our Savior who did and who died in our place for our sin. So we think that if people understand the Bible in this way, they'll be interested to go back and reread parts of the Bible that maybe previously didn't make as much sense to them. 
Yeah, and and it's interesting because interacting with a lot of atheists, you sort of you hear a lot of the same arguments. And and sometimes, admittedly, atheists are very good at pointing out scriptures that on their face are very hard to understand. They're issues that are very complex that especially through our lens today, specifically some of the Old Testament um elements are are almost horrifying in, in their mind. And they'll and they'll present this and they'll say, Look, how could you support a book that says these things or believes these things? And so you have that dynamic going on as well. And there's a lot more of that kind of discussion in the social media era, I think, that maybe people weren't experiencing or seeing before. And so when you've got a little bit of doubt and you start mixing in with with some of these elements, you do see how people who don't have that baseline that you just described of the Bible can end up falling away from it entirely if they're if they're questioning. And so with that, um, Lauren, what would you say? And you can both answer this one, but I'll start with you. And you just spoke to it a little bit, Michael. But what are what are the biggest misconceptions, or maybe the one the one biggest misconception about the Bible that you've encountered in your walk? Yeah, a lot of millennials think that the Bible doesn't relate to a modern world or have anything to do with the things that millennials care about. And so in our book, Not What You Think, we highlight a few things that show, you know, this this book, the Bible, is still impacting and influencing our world around us every day, uh, even in ways that we don't realize it. So uh, specifically, we see that millennials are really interested in justice issues and wanting to see the oppressed be cared for. And we highlight that the Bible has been a major motivator for many people throughout world history that have impacted justice issues. So whether it was uh, standing up for the oppressed based on race or gender, there have been people who are influenced by the Bible's values and and their belief in Jesus and what Jesus stood for that have stood up for others um, that were um, needing someone to stand up in their place. So so we highlight a number of different things. Specifically, that was one that we found um, the misperception that the Bible doesn't relate to things we care about. And we, we try and show, no, look, the Bible actually has things to say in our modern world about the things that millennials care about and is still very much active in influencing our world around us today. Yeah, and Michael, would you agree with that, obviously? Are there any other elements, maybe um, things that, big misconceptions that you think are important to clarify that maybe we haven't discussed? No, I, I think that that really gets at the heart of it. I mean, the the fact that some view it as a rule book and just want to see, uh, don't want to come to the Bible because of the rules that are going to make them feel bad or the fairy tale, you know, that sure, it might be some good stories, it's kind of Aesop's fables, but it's not based in reality. Well, if you see that there's overwhelming historical re- evidence that it is based in reality, then you have to deal with things like the claim of the resurrection. And so um, to help kind of draw out some of that and really kind of try to turn on our own generation, on millennials, to say, hey, if we're the open-minded generation that we love to claim to be, we need to make space to consider the Bible. Like, it deserves a seat at the table to have a voice into our lives and into the culture along with everything else. We can't claim that we're open-minded and exclude this book that another thing we love about our generation is that we embrace diversity. We love diversity, and there's not a more diverse book than the Bible, that it is embraced by people all over the world today, that of every socioeconomic status on every single continent throughout the globe, that if you are pro-diversity, you have to uh, reckon with the power of the Bible. That's a really great point that I've not often heard people make, and it's completely true. You mentioned economics, you mentioned, you know, across ethnicities, across the world. It is the most bought, sold, talked about, discussed, debated book in history, and 
you know, there's nothing really like it. And it's it's always interesting when when doubts creep in and you and you talk with people and you start to break it down and go through, okay, well, how did we get here? Let's talk about our consciousness. Let's talk about the fact that we're here having conversations on earth right now. You're not sure what you believe. Well, something happened. We got here somehow, right? And you start to have those conversations and you start to look at the evidence that you mentioned, it becomes very clear that the Bible is more than than just a book of, of, you know, here are the rules and regulations of how to live, that there's something much deeper there. And so I'm excited for people to be able to grab copies of Not What You Think, um, and so that they can kind of read something that I think really can point people back towards that truth. You may not be able to get people to pick up the Bible, young people, some of them, but you can get them to pick up an interesting book that I think causes them to think through some of the things you've detailed. Now, I want to ask you both, a couple more questions. The first one, and I just I have to ask this: What is it like? Because you guys are you're married. You're a married couple. What is it like to work together on a project like this as a couple? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was super fun. We we really enjoy working together. So we worked together at Museum of the Bible for a season before writing this book, and so we had kind of wrestled through some of those challenges of figuring out, you know, how to work together, how to compromise. Um, but yeah, coming to writing a book was a whole different ball game on some ways, but it was nice to, uh, you know, be able to bounce ideas off of each other. And we bring really different strengths to the writing process. And so actually as a team, we thought that um, the book was better because we were working on this together than either of us could have done on our own. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's nice. And you don't, you know, a lot of people are like, I could never really work with my spouse. I hear that. But every couple that I've ever interviewed that's worked together on a project like this, they find that it actually brings them closer together, which I, which I love. I think that, that that's a powerful thing to be able to, to share in a passion for something together. You know, most couples don't get to do that. So you guys are lucky. Yeah, we definitely, definitely. feel very fortunate. It's, it was, it was fun. It had its challenges, but it was fun. <laughs> okay. So my last question, which is a little, a little heavier and Michael, I'll start with you, but what is it that convinces you and that has convinced you that the Bible is the true word of God? So personally, I we talk a lot about and not what you think, the the personal challenges and struggles and doubts that we not only have wrestled through, but continue to wrestle through. And I think that's important because um, it's okay for people to have those questions. And um, the point when it becomes dangerous in their walk with the Lord is when they sort of hit the eject button and wrestle with those outside of, of the church and outside the people of God. And so both they need to be willing to lean in. And one thing we really want and not what you think is to help give space and permission for pastors and parents that as you're talking to your, uh, your son or daughter or whoever that is in our generation that's struggling, give them space to have doubts and questions and don't try to just correct their thinking immediately. Uh, for me, the central plank of, of biblical trust in the Word of God is Jesus himself, that because Jesus himself believed in the Bible, uh, that is, establishes my belief that he confirmed the Old Testament, and he confirmed that the Old Testament was written about him. He rebukes the Pharisees in John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you'll have eternal life, but it's the scriptures that point to me. In Luke 24, he tells the disciples on the road to Emmaus all the things in the law and the prophets concerning himself in the Sermon on the Mount. He tells us he's come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so the fact that Jesus takes the Old Testament so seriously, quotes it throughout his 
right, over and over and over again. A ton of his quotes are just him quoting from the Old Testament. And then you have the New Testament written by uh, his early followers and those that were discipled by them. That is what ultimately is the central plank for me, is that if Jesus believes in the inerrancy of Scripture, if he believes that the Bible is the Word of God and calls it such, uh, then I want to be in line with Jesus. Wow, that was great. I love that was a good re- that was a much more I don't know what I was expecting. I was expecting something good, but that that really tied it all together. I love that. What Thanks. would you say, Lauren? Lauren told me to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no. what would you say, Lauren, for you? Yeah, I would say for me, it, it's it's all the things that Michael said, but additionally for me, it's both the the cognitive uh, realization that there is so much evidence for the scriptures. Um, you know, Jesus, of course, himself claims the scriptures to be truth and the scriptures claim to be truth. But beyond that, we have so much historical evidence. Um, in, in working with the Museum of the Bible for a season, I got to interact with artifacts firsthand and seeing these items that show the translation and transmission of scripture through time and is incredibly reliable. So there is that aspect that is comforting, but there's also the spiritual and emotional component that the the scriptures have transformed my life through the work of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit in me. And that has been um, an incredible, incredibly powerful aspect of my own life, just seeing the evidence of God working. And in, in our own, in Michael and I's own lives, we've had, you know, difficult experiences and suffering and struggles and through all of that, I've found great comfort in the scriptures and knowing that my hope is not in anything on this earth, but that our hope is in something bigger than us, something beyond us, and that is in Christ and eternity with with him someday, and that someday in heaven all, all tears will be wiped, wiped away and all suffering will be gone, and that gives great joy and hope in the midst of suffering, and so that's something that doesn't find answers, suffering doesn't find answers um, fulfilled in any of the other worldly things that people try to go to for answers in the midst of their trials. And so um, all of those reasons, I think, have been a really powerful uh, just collection of impact in our life that has caused both of us to, through the midst of wrestling, uh, through kind of trying to figure out what we believe about God and what we believe about the Bible, come to see that we, we find that the truth of Scripture is what it claims. And we think that millennials, those in our generation, as well as non-millennials, should be grappling with the the truth claims of Scripture, as well as how that can influence their lives. Well, listen, guys, this has been phenomenal. I'm so excited for you guys. The book is Not What You Think, and we'll be linking out to that so people can grab copies of it. So happy for you guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Thanks, Billy. We'll be right back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. Did you know you can access thousands of entertaining and inspiring faith and family friendly TV shows, movies, and original series? It's simple. Just log on to pureflix.com right now to start your free one month trial. From kids content to some of the most uplifting films, We've got your entire family covered. Sign up today. And we're back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. 
and we're back with more of the podcast. Now, I want to point your attention over to the PureFlix Insider blog. It's insider.pureflix.com. We have a story up. It's titled, Jesus is the Word, Inside the Meaning of John Chapter 1. We've been doing a lot of these scripture guides, and they kind of guide us through some of the most important parts of scripture. And so this particular piece is about John one. And I learned a lot while I was going through this because obviously I've read John 1 many times, but when you really start to unpack a chapter, what is in that chapter? What is that chapter telling us? What are the lessons that we can take away from it? And what's really interesting is when you start at verse 1, it tells us, I'm just going to quote verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now you start to dive into that and you start to understand the meaning of that, that Jesus was always one with God, right? That Jesus was always there from the beginning. You know, John 1 verses 2 through 5 tell us, though through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There is so much. I mean, we're just in the first couple of verses there, right? There is so much in there to unpack. And so I want you guys to check that out. Uh, but just to go through a little bit about what we learned, these are sort of the big bullet points of John 1. Jesus was with God in the beginning. That's the first point. The second is that Christ brings grace and truth. And the third is that John the Baptist really matters, right? We learn about John the Baptist in John 1, and we get a chance to sort of learn his story a little bit. And, and it's fascinating. It's incredible. So head over to insider.pureflix.com to read that and check that out. We've got a lot of other great content over there. We've got an interview with David A.R. White. We also have a write-up on astrophysicist Dr. Jason Lyle and his view on how faith and religion and science can go hand in hand. Thanks so much for tuning in today to the Pure Flix podcast. You can come back next week for more of the show. And again, go over to insider.pureflix.com. Also go over to facebook.com backslash pureflix for more daily inspiring content. That's all for today's podcast. You can follow Pure Flix on Facebook at facebook.com slash pureflix and on Twitter at pureflix. And be sure to log on today to pureflix.com for your free month of access to thousands of faith and family friendly movies and TV shows. Thanks for listening to the Pure Flix Podcast.